Welcome to the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day. Tune in to discover what it takes to truly develop within human resources as we delve deep into growth, engagement, and leadership strategies that can unlock the hidden potential within your business, which we hope will really empower your workforce towards fantastic organizational success. And welcome back to the HR L&D podcast. My name is Nick Day. I'm CEO of JGA Recruitment Group, and we are specialist human resources recruiters. Now, if you haven't subscribed to this show yet, please do so. And if you can just spend a moment to review it as well, I would be eternally grateful. Of course, remember to share this episode with all of your HR colleagues and friends as well. And we can really help raise the profile of people management and human resources Globally. Now, today I'm joined by Vanessa Judelman, who is president of Mosaic People Development. Now, for over 20 years, Vanessa has been helping clients to develop leaders who inspire great results. And that's what this show is all about. We have a lot of HR leaders listening to this who want to be the best leaders for tomorrow. And we know that the world of work is rapidly changing. Well, today, Vanessa is joining us. She's a speaker, facilitator, leadership consultant, and certified executive coach. So we're in good, good hands. To give you a bit of background, she's worked in the trenches herself as a leader. She now teaches her clients a very practical approach to leadership. And it's something that she's used to help develop her own performing teams, which are very high performing indeed. And we're going to find out exactly what that approach entails during the course of today's show. Now, over the years, she's trained and coached thousands of people to transition from doers to leaders. And she also works with leaders to give them the tools and strategies that they need to feel confident, to be more self-aware, be more team focused, and for lots of you listening to this, to be more strategic. She's also authored a fantastic book called Mastering Leadership, What It Takes to Lead in Today's Fast-Paced World. And it's all about leadership and how she's led her own teams. And I'm sure we're going to get into the nitty gritty of that as well during today's show. And I want to say that she's also had the privilege of developing leaders in organizations, some big, big names here like Campbell Soup, the United Nations, HelloFresh, SickKids, the Bank of Montreal, and many, many more. So we're in really good hands today. I can't wait to welcome Vanessa to the show. She's going to talk about how we can lead in this new world of work. So Vanessa, welcome to the HR L&D podcast. How are you feeling? Thank you. So great to be here. Fantastic to have you. You know how this show goes. I'm going to ask the first question and ask all of my guests, which is this. What do the words human resources mean to you? Wow, that's a big question. I mean, when you think of HR, you can think about things like recruiting and onboarding and payroll and compliance and benefits and leadership development. But you know what I always say to you? So a couple of things I want to say other than that, because that's more tactical. People say, what do you do as someone who's been in L&D for a long time? I say the people side of business, the people side of business. And that to me is what HR is. It's all about the people. So it's the yeah. me, that's my very short response. It's the people side of business. No, that business works for me. I think I think you were you are, yeah for sure right. And you intimate the fact there's an awful lot of plate spinning in HR. As you say, they cover a whole gambit of different things from payroll to benefits to organization development and more. I want to jump into that a bit later as well in terms of how you can be a great leader when you're plate spinning so many things. Before we get there, let's talk about what leadership means to you. How would you sum up leadership in today's world? It's so funny because my there's not one definition of leadership for sure. I mean, if you Google leadership defined, you'll get about 47 different versions of leadership. The one that I've landed on is when you as a leader 
come to work every day as the best version of yourself, then you're not great. So that kind of leads into the, uh, the, the, the premise or the cliche of leading from the front as well a little bit, right? If you're the best version of yourself, I would argue that when you are being that person, you're often not afraid to get, you know, pull your sleeves up and, and get involved. And, and I, I would say that a good leader is someone who isn't afraid to do any aspect of any job or, or to educate or show or, or, or to lead from the front in that, in that instance. But what we have seen, and certainly from my perspective as an HR recruiter, is I've seen a lot of really strong, very capable leaders leave organizations because of a multitude of factors. Maybe it's work-life balance. Maybe it's remuneration. Maybe it's just they don't like the, the leadership and the way that's being managed within their organizations. So with that, in that sort of context, and obviously I'm immersed in the world of recruitment and retention, why do you think leadership retention in particular is so critically important for, for HR professionals and for businesses today? Because leaders set the tone in an organization. It's a leader's role to, so first of all, the leader's role is to take the strategy and roll it out. Okay, so that's number one. What organizations do really well in terms of strategy is they're good at setting strategy, they're good at planning, but they are not good at execution. And so they're not good at sustainability around the strategy. So a leader's job really is to take the the, the strategy and roll it out. Um, so if you have people who are really um, aligned with the strategy, who are aligned with your values, it's hugely important to retain them and leaders set the tone. So if you have a leader, for example, who's living those values and who, who's setting the tone around motivating their team, um, um, collaborating with their team, um, getting their team to really do their best job at work and be their best selves at work, I mean, you know, leaders make or break people's experience of work. We've all had experiences. I mean, I certainly have. I left an organization years ago because I had the most nightmarish leader possible. Mm. So we all know that people leave leaders. They leave their managers, not companies. And so retaining leaders should be a priority for every organization for so many reasons. I've just named a few. I could probably, it's a great question. I'd actually like to think about that longer. I probably could write a list of like top 25 reasons why organizations should invest in their leaders, but that's just top of mind, maybe three or four. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head on one thing. I mean, certainly in the world of recruitment, a lot of people have the um, the assumption that people leave just for money. And actually, you're absolutely right. People leave bad leaders way more commonplace than they do because of salary or, or anything else. You know, a bad leader, if you, if you have a motivated uh, a leader that's fantastic and really motivates you, actually that builds loyalty and it's very hard. And I know if we're doing some headhunting work, right, to pull someone out of a mm-hmm. business who has a fantastic leader is almost an impossible task. So I guess in the context, you mentioned a few things there where leaders sometimes fail. It's in the execution. So maybe we focus on execution or maybe there are other areas. But why is leadership sometimes just so challenging? Well, first of all, most people are never taught how to lead. So most people are promoted into leadership roles because they're strong individual contributors, right? So let's say you're an engineer and you're a really good uh, engineer. So someone will tap you on the shoulder and say, you're the best engineer on the team. I'm going to promote you now to be a leader. Totally different job. It's a totally different job, right? So now this engineer who went to university to study to be an engineer for five, six, eight years is now asked to do something they, they, they've, they're not skilled in. They haven't been taught to do, right? That, that's my job. I teach leaders the nuts and bolts of leadership, right? Because so many leaders go into a leadership role, no training, no education. In fact, I did read something in a Harvard Business Review recently that only 5% of organizations invest in their leaders. So most leaders are thrown into the deep end 
and they just have to swim and they, and they struggle because leadership is complex. I find that quite surprising, actually, because typically if you, if you talk about the fact that most people are getting leadership roles are high performers, you would think they're the people that a company yeah. would therefore be most invested in, right? Because if you think about the Pareto law, of, you know, 80-20 rule of 20% of your workforce is probably generating 80% of the results. It's typically those 20% that are going to go into leadership positions. So it seems crazy that if they've been identified as being top performers, you move them into leadership roles, you then leave them without the investment required to make them great leaders. Why do you think that is? It's completely illogical why it is because people don't understand that leadership is a different job. There's something called the, the leadership pipeline. It's actually an excellent book. And it's the best book that's described this concept of the different levels of leadership. So the leadership pipeline indicates that there's actually six passages of leadership. So why leadership so complex? Every single time you move into a different passage of, of leadership, your job changes, right? So if you're in passage one of leadership, which is being an individual contributor, where you spend your time and the job, the, the skills you need to develop, basically you spend your time on yourself. You develop skills in your subject matter expert to become a subject matter expert, expert, right? The minute you move into leadership for the first time, where you spend your time changes immediately because now you've just split your time between yourself your deliverables and managing other people and the accountabilities, the skills, the accountabilities of your job and the skills you need to develop are completely different. Now it's not about becoming a subject matter expert. Now it's about coaching people, giving feedback, having crucial conversations with people. And most leaders are not, I always ask leaders, anybody in the room, a trained psychologist, nobody puts their hand up. Maybe you get the odd person say, I did a course in psychology, you know, all of that stuff, like that's, it's hard to have a crucial conversation. That's why most leaders avoid it. But if you've been trained, listen, when you're trained to do it, it's like a, leadership is like a sport. You want to learn how to play golf, go get yourself a pro to teach you how to play golf. You want to become a good leader, you better find yourself somebody who can teach you how to lead because it's, it's a completely different sport, right? Then you move into the next leadership pipeline, the level, which is managing other managers, completely different job. The next level, like maybe you're a VP or an SVP, you're managing a whole organization or a whole team or a whole massive department with different people, with different deliveries in silos. That again, I call it new level, new devil, right? That again is a totally different job. So yeah, leadership is, is really complex. And that's why a lot of leaders struggle because they, they just don't, they don't understand the complexities and they aren't provided with the education to, to really gain the skills that they need. So with that in mind, then, can, can anyone be an effective leader if the training and investment is there or have you actually come across in your work some people just weren't born for leadership right they may be great individual contributors but no matter how much investment you give them in in terms of this new skill like some people are just no good at golf using that analogy doesn't matter how much training they get they never quite get it is that the same in leadership well i'm that i am that golf person who's terrible <laughs> <laughs> so i can relate i would say two things need to be their skill and will so i can teach anyone to be a leader I have seen people who I literally coached somebody. I was, uh, um, one of my clients sent this person to me who was a, an executive in their organization. I did some executive coaching with her. And when she came to me, she literally said, Vanessa, I hate leading. I hate being a leader. And so I said to her, okay, we're going to work together for six months. And at the end of this, I'm going to ask you the question again, do you hate leading? She doesn't hate leading anymore, right? So what I've seen over the years is that 
every single work style can be an incredible leader. You can be introverted. You can be extroverted. You can be task-oriented. You can be relationship-oriented. You can be dynamic. You can be not dynamic. You can be, you know, you. I've seen every single personality and work style become a good leader. However, regardless of what your work style is, you have to have self-awareness. You have to know, right. for example, that you're introverted, okay? So I have a client who's a CEO. Um, when I met him, his organization had 80 people and now has 450 people and it's growing by the day, okay? When he had 80 people, his issue was, um, Vanessa, I'm really introverted. I, I'm not that leader that's going to walk the halls and say, hey, buddy, high five. Like that is so inauthentic for him. So I said to him, you still need to connect with people, but you're an introvert. Introverts get their energy from themselves. Extroverts get their energies from other people, right? It's not how friendly you are. And so I said to him, well, let's talk about what does outreach look like for you as someone who's really high on the introversion scale? And we came up with this whole strategy around meeting more one-on-one or bringing in people at a assigned time and having coffee dates with him. And so he felt really great about that. So number one skill, you have to learn the nuts and bolts of leadership. And number two is will. It just like, I don't want to play golf. So it doesn't matter that I'm terrible. You have to want to be a leader. And if you want to do the hard work and grow and develop and learn about yourself and develop your self-awareness, I promise you, you can do it because I've seen it so many times over the years. Yeah, nice. I'll, I'll stay with a slight caveat here because we both work as executive coaches as well. So we're both obviously aware and, uh, and believers in the in the power of coaching. Uh, you've mentioned coaching a couple of times in some of your responses. I think um, from my perspective, I think the world of leadership has, has changed. Obviously, you're more of an expert than I am, but I've seen it evolve. And I think when a lot of companies now were moving towards a coaching culture where they want to empower their staff by asking them how they think things should be done rather than the old way of leadership, which may have been management, they would look at it, where people would often just dictate and they thought that leadership was telling others what to do. Um, how have you seen the world of leadership change? Do you feel there's still a big movement towards a coaching culture? Is it moving into something else? Or uh, how have you seen the, 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 the evolution of, of, of leadership shift? Oh, certainly I've seen it shift dramatically. I mean, if you think about when I started in the workplace, um, you know, in the 90s, it was control and command. It was very top down. Yeah. The boss had, the, you know, president had the corner office. We had to wear pants suits to work. Like it wasn't casual. Um, it was very hierarchical. Now those hierarchies have been stripped down, right? The president, you walk into a business, often I'll walk into a new client. In fact, this happened to me last year. The president was sitting in a long row of desks right in the middle of everybody else. And so the I met with an HR person, somebody in the HR department, and they said, oh, this is Derek. And I was like, nice to meet you, Derek. I had no idea. I just met the president. No idea, right? So um, everybody, you know, so clothing is more relaxed. Hierarchies are more relaxed. Um, and and also, you know, virtually, we're working virtually now, which we have never before. Um People are voting with their feet. Nobody's staying in jobs for 30 years anymore. I don't like my boss. I'm out of here. Right. So, yes, the culture's changed a lot. Um, I do think around command and control, you know, certainly nobody wants to be bossed around by their leader. But I've also seen kind of the opposite tendencies of the coaching culture. Some, some organizations go too far. So you have to find that balance between direction and support. Because in certain situations, people do need direction. Like yeah, right. direction's not a bad name. Like 
there's nothing wrong with direction. In fact, if someone's new to your organization and they're learning a new skill, they do need a lot of direction. You can't put on your coaching hat with someone who's brand new and say, well, what do you think about that? And what approach do you want to take? They'll be like, I don't know. I'm new here. Like, I'm just seeing this for the first time. I don't know. Right. So that's what I share with leaders is there's a time, there's actually a time to be directed when someone is new and learning a new skill. You've got to be very prescriptive and tell them exactly what to do and how to do it. And there's a time to coach when they're a little more um, knowledgeable, maybe done the task two, three, four times. And so that's the balance you have to find. Now, I think you raised an interesting question. I did a few years ago now, I did a, a master's in professional consulting. I remember doing a thesis on flat structures. And in every example that I found in my research, anyway, of those that have tried to bring in a flat structure, no hierarchies, hierarchies always formed. There's always people that want to be led and people that want to lead, right? And they they end up in every structure that I researched, and there was quite a few, and I can make the, you know, I'll make the, the study accessible in the, in the show notes, but um, in every one that I found, there were always people that rose up or, or the dead. And not everyone wants to be a leader, of course, in that way. Some people like to be led and like to be shown a direction. So that was really, really interesting, that research. But that was even then, that was a few years ago, and it's, it's moved on a lot. I'd love to know from your perspective that, you know, we've seen the world of work, particularly post-pandemic. And I know that wasn't too long ago, right? But we've seen the world of work change at an astonishing pace. We've seen loads of transformation, both in terms of tech, both in terms of organizational structure and all the different things that are going on. Remote working, which you've already mentioned as well, uh, changing the, the the leadership landscape again. So I would I would suggest that in the new world of work, we probably need a new kind of leader. I would love to know from you what you think is required as a leader in this new world of work. I'm going to say something that might might surprise you. Go for it. Prepared leaders, prepared leaders. They're winging it too much. People are winging it. They're showing up unprepared. They're not planning for crucial conversations. They don't have agendas in meetings. This world that we live in is so crazy. It is so fast paced. There's a lot of external noise and wars. And, you know, there's a lot going on externally right. in our environment. Now it's, we're living in a chaotic time. Social media is chaotic. Um, business models are exploding. I mean, there's so much erupting. And so people need more structure. And to be more prepared. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna say all those things like empathy and resilience and all of that. All of that, yes, yes, yes. Emotional intelligence, yes, 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 yes. And I'm just really focusing on getting my leaders prepared. Yesterday, for example, I had a meeting with a group of leaders. Um, they work in a an advertising agency. And we're talking about meetings, and none of them have agendas. I said to them, What okay. I want you to each go around and tell me about one meeting that you run right now. What is the purpose of that meeting? They couldn't even define the purpose. I'm like, oh, good question. Like, you got to know what's the purpose of every single meeting, right? You have to have an agenda. You have to send it out to people in advance. You want to have a crucial conversation. Most leaders avoid them. Why? They're not prepared. You need to spend five and it doesn't take a long time. I had, so it's funny because in this meeting that I had with this group at the advertising agency, one of the leaders said, Vanessa, you know, uh, it's going to take me two hours to, I was, I was encouraging her to write a list of tasks as she onboards a new employee. And she said, I don't, I don't have time to do that. That's going to take me two hours. So like think it through and write all our tasks and write a job description. I said to her, it's not a job description. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock and you're going to burn through the five minutes and you're going to open it up Excel spreadsheet. And I want to write you write down every single task you want this person to do right? And she did it in less than five minutes. 
So, so, you know, people overthink also and, and think it takes so long to be prepared. It doesn't take long, but it's so strategic when you're, when you become a leader, you have to develop your strategic accurate acumen. Preparedness is one of the biggest ones that I think is over missed. It's a great point. Do you think some, I'm just thinking from what I've seen in the market potentially, right? And I'm, I've got a different lens and I see I have different optics in terms of the way that I see leadership change because I'm dealing with leaders from a recruitment perspective, either hiring managers or people that want to move into leadership roles. But I think sometimes a little bit of the world of work has changed so much as well, particularly in terms of remote working and, and meetings on Zoom or Teams or that's also led to a uh, remote style of management where it's output led rather than, and it has to be because people can't see you all the time right in the office. And I wonder if some of these meetings are just cool to show that they are online and doing something. So sometimes therefore the context or the reason or the purpose behind those meetings gets lost because actually if you dive deep into it, some of the reasons just because they want to be shown that they're showing up. Are you seeing that in your world as well? Or am I being a little bit naive or I don't know? No, I, I think that that's very legitimate. I think that's very legitimate. If you haven't seen someone for two days, you're like, hello, are you still out there? What's happening? I do see that a lot. And um, still have a purpose. It, there, there's no yeah. point in just telling somebody to show up for the sake. I, I get why people want to do that. Like intuitively, that makes sense. But then call it a check-in meeting. Yeah, make let's that the agenda say, rather than something check, fictional. Yeah, yeah, let's say, hey, um, could we do every Monday morning at 10 o'clock, a 15-minute check-in? Let's talk about, let's make it really simple, 15 minutes, right? Let's talk about what are your goals this week? Uh, what are you doing to move them forward? And what help do you need from me? Boom, That that's coaching, actually. That's like, a, like there's two parts of coaching, right? There's informal coaching where you're coaching on the spot. And there's formal coaching. So that would be just a really nice example of setting up a formal coaching meeting and, and giving it purpose and structure. And it can be short. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a great example. Great example. I'm, I'm sure hopefully people listening to this go, okay, I'm going to introduce that straight away. That'll help me. That'll help me in those meetings, those check-in meetings. So look, a lot of people listening to this, they, they don't want to just be leaders. They want to be extraordinary leaders. They want to be impactful leaders. They want to be the best leaders they can be. Those you said, if they've got the skill and they've got the will, they really want to make a difference in their organizations, whether that's because of where they are, because they want to get to the next one up the ladder. As you say, there's there's six different phases. They want to get to the next phase up. What are some of the strategies those HR professionals can, can take on? Particularly when I go back to the start of this introduction, they are plate spinning, as you mentioned. They've got loads of things to consider. They've got multiple objectives to deliver. They're under significant pressure. What are some of the strategies they can consider to help them get to that extraordinary level of leadership? So for me... And I love that. I mean, if there's people out that want to be extraordinary leaders, I admire that so much. Le let, let me break it down for you. Okay. So the reason leadership is, is, is complex is because it's so multifaceted. So I'm going to strip it down to the three pillars. Right. Okay. So if you want to be extraordinary leader, here are the three pillars. Number one, you have to know yourself. Number two, you have to be able to manage your team. And number three, you have to lead your business. That's your job. So that first pillar, you want to be extraordinary leader, you have to know yourself. What does that mean? You have to have self-awareness. You have to know what your strengths are. You have to know what your weaknesses are. You have to know how to build high trust relationships. You have to, um, in terms of your strengths and weaknesses, you've got to know when to dial stuff. I call it dialing stuff up and down, right? All of our personalities and work styles, we have, we have issues that come with them, right? Because for all of us, our strengths, when we overuse them, become our weaknesses, 
Have you ever asked yourself, how can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. So let's say, let's say I'm someone who's really direct. Okay. So Nick, what's good about someone being direct? What do you like about that leadership quality? It's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to throw something back at you before I answer the question. I'm happy to answer it by the way, but you mentioned strengths and weaknesses and I don't know. I'm not a big believer in strengths and weaknesses. I just think there's always context. So you can be direct, which could absolutely be a weakness in one context, could absolutely be a strength in another. And I, I, I always find it interesting. Obviously, I'm interviewing people every single day of my life as a recruiter, whether it's candidates, you know, we're, we're doing internal interviews. And I, it's such a common question that they expect to be asked. And they almost come ready made with these, you know, I'm a perfectionist, which is kind of a strength. And it's like you have these, I don't know, cardboard cutout, cookie cutout sort of answers. But I always think it, I'd rather go deeper and people be honest about and authentic about who they are as an individual, because it depends on the context of the situation to determine whether that is a, a strength or a weakness. Um, so if I was saying to you, you know, I've got a, a direct style of management, and that's not necessarily a weakness. It depends on what context or what, you know, of the situation, whether I need to deploy a direct style or not would be my counter to it. I can't remember what your original question was, but I knew that I wanted to get back into the strength and weakness context. Okay. Way. Talk about the strength and weakness context. I think that's after an excellent, excellent point. My question is, if someone is a direct leader, like as a direct leadership style, what's good about that? How is that a strength being direct? Uh, it's it's purposeful. Typically, it's a very clear to understand the direction that they want to take. Um, yeah. It's uh, sometimes if you want to get things done quickly, and it's not a, you know there isn't a the right time to have a, a big uh, you know seminar about why why you want to do something then it can make actions happen fast. Let's let's be quick. Super efficient. Okay, so what happens when someone overuses that strength of being too direct? What does that look like? It can be disempowering. It can feel too autonomous. Uh, you can feel that you're not being listened to. Uh, you, it often could lack diverse diversity in terms of the number of solutions available to a particular problem. Um, it could come across as autocratic, which can make people feel like they're, you know, they don't want to be there anymore, don't like being, don't like working in that kind of environment. 110%. So that's it, right? So all of us, and I do do believe we all have different strengths and weaknesses, right? So for example, do you know the um, I don't know if you know the disc profile, it's a self-assessment tool. Yeah, I'm familiar with disc. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So if some of you listening, uh, most people have done Myers-Briggs. I find it super, super popular. Myers-Briggs looks at your personality. The DISC profile actually looks at your, your work style. So there's four different work styles. You can DISC stands for dominance, influencer, steady, and conscientious. So someone who has a dominant work style means they're very direct and they're very results oriented and action oriented, right? And so those are their strengths. But for all of those things, when you overuse it, it, be, it can become a weakness. Right? right. You can be someone who's an influencer where you're super outgoing and enthusiastic and, and optimistic and strategic and a big picture thinker, but you can be too enthusiastic. Right. I'm someone who's a who's very enthusiastic, 
And I actually was doing, this is a very interesting story, kind of a funny self-deprecating story, but I'll share with you anyways. I was doing this training session with a group of engineers and I have a very different work style with them. They're more a conscientious, a C, where they're more analytical and reserved and private and systematic, right? And I'm going on about leadership and I'm super enthusiastic. And I had um, an engineer come to me at the break and he said, Vanessa, can I give you some feedback? I said, of course you can. He said, I don't know. I just find you really insincere. I was like, what? Wow. Okay. That's, <laughs> I was like, okay. I mean, I like feedback, but uh, that's a little, uh, you know, a little more than I can handle. But anyways, I had to let my ego go to the wayside and, and just be put on my coaching hand, be curious with him and say, tell me like what, what, what makes you say that? He said, I just find you way too enthusiastic about this leadership stuff. And I find it insincere. So it was really good feedback for me because what I learned is that my enthusiasm is terrific. It keeps people engaged, but sometimes when I overuse it, it's annoying. And so that is a strength I bring my enthusiasm, but when I overuse it, it actually becomes a weakness. So that's more the context of how I talk about strengths and weaknesses. If you're someone who's steady and you're very accommodating, it's amazing to be an accommodating leader. But if you're too accommodating, you're never making decisions. Right. If you're yeah. conscientious leader, right, and you're very analytical, and you, I love people who are analytical because their decisions are so thoroughly, like well thought out and detailed. But if they overuse that, they go into analysis paralysis and don't make decisions at all, right? So that's what I mean by strengths and weaknesses. Like we all have different work styles, and you have to understand what your work style is and have self-awareness of what your strengths are. And we all have different strengths and how you're, you might be overusing them. I think uh, something that comes to mind there is the, the idea that that's why teams are so much more powerful, right? Because we're in a team, we can, you can harbor all the different skills that, and the weaknesses, if you like, for a better word, that you don't have. I always use the analogy. I've used it in the shows before where, you know, 11 David Beckhams, if you're an ex-David Beckham fan, doesn't win you, doesn't win you anything because, you know, he might be great at passing, but he can't save the, can't save the goals or he can't, not the best strike or whatever. You need a collaborative set of skills to, to ultimately get the best result. And um, I'm, I'm, something I meant to mention earlier, but you, you lent on it again there, which is the idea of different skills. And who knows, one of your skills is enthusiasm, but, but you know, people have a misconception of what a great leader is. And actually, I, I've done some research on the Gallup Strengths model and the Gallup Strengths research basically yeah. came back and said, actually, we studied all of these leaders and they're all completely different. And you can be a great leader if you're introverted, as you uh, very eloquently put earlier. And you can be a great leader if you're enthusiastic and proactive. There is no true formula that says you must be these specific characteristics to be a great leader. I thought it was a really interesting study. And that obviously links to the Gallup Strengths profiles, which is probably isn't too dissimilar to DISC. Uh, but I thought it was quite interesting earlier because you you gave a great example of an introverted leader who is clearly very proficient, but just because he's introverted doesn't mean he's not a fantastic leader, right? You just got to zone into those strengths that you mentioned before and know how to use them in that context. So you mentioned that there's sort of three really good distinct ways to understand what you need to overcome to be a great leader. What are some of the practical tools? And if I said you can give us maybe five practical tools that leaders listening to this right now can implement to help them navigate the challenges of our workplace today and they can leave this show with it, what, what could they be? Okay, so let's go to, so know yourself. So the, the first tool around know yourself is um, understand that key strength that you tend to overuse and dial okay. it down. Great. Or dial it up, depending okay. on what it is. 
Sometimes if you're going to over analysis paralysis, you need to dial that down and dial up your quicker decision making. Okay, so that's tool number one. Tool number two, let's go to that middle pillar, manage your team. Okay, so one of the ways you need to manage your team is coaching. And so one of my favorite coaching tools, so coaching is um, helping people to build their, uh, their capabilities and also develop their confidence, their confidence, right? Competence and confidence. Yeah. Um, one of the best tools for coaching is asking questions that start with the word what. Okay, so think about this. If I said to you, Nick, let's say you made a mistake. And I said to you, Nick, why did you do that? You'd be like, screw you, V. Like, don't ask me why. Like, that ain't your business. You're being rude. The first right? lesson we learn in recruitment is why is inherently aggressive as a question, right? It makes us defensive. I agree. Right? So you're, you're probably super familiar with the what question yeah. in your role. Yeah. So that's, that's my favorite coaching tool is just ask questions that start with what? Someone makes a mistake. Don't say, why'd you do that? Because they're going to be like, you're being rude. Say, okay, uh, help me to understand what is the process you leverage to come up with that decision, right? And then you're just coming from that place of pure curiosity. Let's say you think someone's disengaged. Well, that's a big judgment, okay? Coaching is not a place of judge. Like when you when you put on your coaching hat, you know, as a leader, you're taking off and putting on many hats. Sometimes you're planning hat, sometimes you're directing hat, sometimes you're coaching hat. When you put on your coaching hat, right? Maybe you're thinking someone's disengaged. So don't make assumptions. Have a coaching conversation with them. You might ask something like, um, what's working really well for you in your job right now? What's, what's really challenging for you in your role right now? And make a list of that. What are some things that we could do to overcome what's really challenging for you right now? Nice. So that's just yeah, they're powerful. Very powerful way to coach somebody. And that's a very practical tool that you can leverage. So if we use the what's as the, would that be tool number two? We're understanding what a dial up, dial down. Using more what questions is practical tip number two. What would be practical tip number three? Okay, let's do positive feedback. Okay. So people think positive feedback is easy. You just say, hey, Fred, good job. Thanks for coming out. No, no. Positive feedback actually has two components. One is describe the behavior, which people do really well. The second part, which people miss, is explain the impact. So let's say somebody stayed really late to do a report. Most people say, oh, Fred, thank you so much for staying late to complete that report. Great work. Fred's like, oh, yeah, whatever. I missed, you know, something important and might be disgruntled. But if you add the impact part, Fred, the impact is your turnaround time was so quick. I got a message at 8 a.m. this morning that we just sold the business and got that new client. So they see the impact of their hard work. So it, it, it's so motivating and engaging for people. It also, positive feedback helps you to reinforce behavior that you want to reinforce. Yeah, love that. Love that. And actually, it's something we can use that's completely free. It doesn't have to cost us anything, incentives, anything else, and has the same amount of impact as it might have to do something that isn't free. Um, I know what I often say to the people I'm working with, you know, if you, someone's lived a really good project, put it on LinkedIn. Sometimes make it public. Like, really do public praise. It's completely free and say, hey, these guys have delivered a fantastic project on time. You know, they'll go and share that with their own network or their parents or their friends and go, hey, look at this. I was part of that. And it makes people feel really empowered and proud and positive. So I think that's, yeah, that's a really, really strong tip 
tip three. What would be top tips four and five? All right, let's go with change management. Okay. So got a little from know yourself. We just did one from manage your team. Let's go into lead your business pillar, the third pillar. Um, okay, I've got a really practical one. So one of the ways that you can communicate change, it's it's really challenging to communicate change. So um, one of the best tools that I, I have is called the what is and what isn't list. Okay. okay. So you're rolling new change. And you write on a flip chart what is. And then on the other side of a flip chart, you write what is not. Or you could do it if, it, if you're running the meeting virtually, you do it on a whiteboard. Pull up a whiteboard. Okay. If you use Zoom, Zoom has whiteboards. Teams have whiteboards. A lot of people don't even know that. They don't use whiteboards to facilitate meetings. That's another tip. Use whiteboards. <laughs> there you go. We got it right here. That's tip there four. To facilitate <laughs> your meetings, right? You can have a, even a coaching conversation, right? Like what's working, what's not, what can you do to overcome what's not working? You can have that whole coaching conversation facilitated on a whiteboard, okay? So what you do is you put on, let's say you're launching a new tech-related a, a tech tool, like a new, I don't know, what would be a new system, Nick? A um, uh, HRIS on, on HR platform, yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, new HRIS system, right? That's a huge change management project. So you write on the first slide, what, what is it? Well, it's um, we're moving from paper-based performance appraisals to um, online performance appraisals. It's one place to store all our data and information. It's aligned across the business in different locations. It What is it not? It's not changing your job. It's not changing your workflow. It's not changing your relationships with clients. So it is such a super powerful tool to use to really help people understand how the change is and is not impacting their role. Yeah, I love that. And it takes away some of those fears that we, um, you know, we don't know what people are thinking right, when we have those meetings. We can assume we know how everyone's going to take the information. But in reality, we have no idea because we can't control how somebody else thinks. And as you said, someone might be thinking, oh, my God, how's this going to impact my job? Yeah, and that's where resistance comes from. And you end up having to fight it later. It's a really powerful tool you've mentioned there just to help overcome what could become big resistance later if you don't tackle it early on. So fantastic. Did you want to add a fifth or was the fifth point going to be the whiteboard? Here we go. Oh, that's a bonus. The whiteboard okay, is a bonus. bonus. So you got five bonus. What'll be your fifth tip? Okay, number five. I'm going to stick with um, lead your business and I'm going to do managing your time. Have you heard of Eat Your Big Frog first? I have. have you heard of that yeah, one? Yeah, it's a book on the. Uh, okay, that's one of my favorite. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, is it a Dave Allen tool? No, it's not. I'm going to have to Google who came up with that tool. But um, the tool is called Eat Your Big Frog First. And what it means is when you do your to-do list, and okay, so I'm sneaking in another tool. Please do a to-do list every single day. So many leaders don't do that. You got to get it out of your head and get it on paper. Okay, so that's a tip in itself. Once you do your to-do list, you look at your big frog, which is your hardest, meatiest, maybe even most urgent task that you have to do. And please do it first. Because the more you procrastinate doing that big frog, the more your stress level increases. Right. So get it done at the, at the beginning of the day. And maybe even need to get up a little bit earlier that day and get it done before everybody else comes into the office or starts going online so you can get, get started. Well, I certainly agree with the to-do list. I'll show you that for those watching on video only. I've got a, this is my pad. So like they, they they come pre-made as to-do lists, which makes my life way easier, right? You can get them on Amazon. It was super easy and they already 
all the lines are done. You've got your urgents, you've got to, you know, things you need to do. So I have that running every single day. So I know exactly what I need to do and have my most dirt. You can put it in urgency order, urgency one down to 15. So, you know, I'm a big fan of that methodology, something I try and utilize myself. And as you say, you do the hardest thing first, get it done. And I always feel like then you've achieved something in the day. Because you get that thing that's been wrestling in your mind the night before. And you, everyone knows what that thing is, right? We don't want to tackle it. We kind of delay it. If you get it done, you'll always feel like you've achieved something in the day. So I'm a big, big fan of that practical tip five and something that I've used. So that you've, I know you've given an awful lot of um, information about what makes great leadership, leading in the modern world, the new world of work. You've given us some fantastic tips as well to take away. Tell us a little bit more about your book, Mastering Leadership, what it takes to lead in today's fast-paced world. What are some of the things perhaps I haven't asked that you want to get out there that could really resonate with the leaders of tomorrow? Um, and what would someone who wanted to go and purchase the book, and I will put a link in the show notes for those that want to buy themselves a copy, of course, um, what, what can they get from the book? So what, what I do in the book is I break down those pillars of leadership success, the three pillars, know yourself, manage your team, lead your business into three categories. First of all, I talk about um, upfront, what are the problems in leadership today? What are some of the things holding people back from being successful as a leader? And then I'm a huge fan of checklists and assessments. So I start each of those sections with an assessment. So you very quick, like 20 questions. How are you doing in that know yourself pillar? I break it down into 20 different components. And then you can do a self-assessment. See, you know what? I'm doing really well in these areas, but here's some gaps. There's a self-assessment in the manager team and a self-assessment in the lead your business section. So you start with a self-assessment and then I'll go into each of the breakdown, each of those areas into the assessment to give you practical tools. So the nice thing about the book is you can read the whole thing or you can do your self-assessment and just flip to the parts that are gaps for you and to, and it will give you some hints and tips to further develop in the areas that are just most meaningful and, and relevant for you right now. So I'm a practical person and I love my lists and checklists. And so I've included yeah. lots of those in the book. Nice. So presumably then it's like an evolutionary journey as well. But I, do you get a chance to reassess? So if you get the, if you start with your checklist at the start of what, you know, knowing myself, do I get a chance to reassess? You can totally reassess hundred percent. So you can, really effectively, you can, you can watch yourself become a better leader just by following the guide in the book. I love to do the reassessment, say, every three to six months because it takes okay. time to develop. Um, you know, development takes commitment and it does take time. And I always say to people, just pick one thing to do this quarter. Just one thing. Like, let's say you want to focus on coaching. Just focus on coaching. The next quarter, maybe you want to focus on being more strategic. Just focus on that. Maybe you want to focus just on coaching the entire year. But if you focus on nothing, at the end of the year, you've developed nothing. Yeah. If you focus on one thing a quarter, wow. By the end of the year, you've got four things that are that are developed in your leadership practice. Yeah, and I love that. And there's an argument as well, I think, that says, even if you focus on too many things, I think, I don't know which author it was, you might know. I think it says, if you focus on more than three things, then you're also focused on nothing. Like the idea being, you just got to try and dial down. I honestly, I, I've heard, I've read a lot of articles. I'm sure you have too, Nick, about multitasking. It doesn't work. Like our brains yeah. are functioned and designed to think about one thing at a time. So it's like it's like that for development too. If you're just focused on your coaching practice, then you can really focus on that in your meetings. Like listening, maybe maybe the one thing you're going to focus on is being a better listener, or asking what questions. Or eating your big frog first every day for yeah. three months. Yeah. And, see how that goes. and three months gives you enough time to make that that habit 
forming, right? To make that really embed in and to embed the learning as well. But Vanessa, it's been a fantastic chat all about leadership. I'm hoping that people listening to this can take loads away. You've been so kind and generous with your tips and, and tools to really help people become better leaders. So I'm very, very thankful for that. I'm going to open the HR L&D vault. So three short, sharp questions, which I think will speak to uh, speak well to you because they're pretty much all about leadership, really. Opening the L&D vault. First one is, if you could give one piece of advice to the world, what would it be? Be nice. 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 Be nice. Be nice. Be kind. I don't know. So many people out there who are flustered and who are intense and, you know, are ego-based and just, uh, wouldn't it be nice if everybody walked around the world every day and said, hmm, what can I do to be nice today? I just think it's so simple, like, like down to basics. No, I love that. Love that. If you had the opportunity, what advice would you give to a younger you just starting out in this new world of work? Don't stress out. It's going to be okay. I think when we start our careers, there's so much stress. And I can see I have a 17-year-old son who's in grade 12 right now. He's so stressed out about everything. What am I going to do for my job? And how am I going to afford a house? How am I going to get into university? Will my grades? And I'm like, wow, I don't know. Were we that stressed out when we were in grade 12? I don't think so. But anyways, just know that everything's going to be okay. And the thing about careers is that one thing leads to another and you don't have to know what that one thing is going to be. Just trust your path. Everybody has a completely different path. I'm sure you enjoy hearing about in your, in your role, Nick, people's journeys and how they got to where they are. Everybody has a journey, right? And there's a surprise so like, in every one. That's the thing. It's never as linear or as straightforward as you think. I, I like the, the saying that isn't too far away from what you mentioned, really, is the, um, the idea that this too shall pass. No matter where mm. we are in anything, we always often get, into, we feel like we can't see the wood through the trees. And it's just like, this too shall pass. Everything passes, right? Just just stay with it and, and work through it and understand it's an experience and it's a learning journey. And you'll be able to call back on that and realize you learned so much through that, that tough time. And I big believe in learning everything no matter how negative the situation is you could there's there's learnings and positives to take away so um yeah i think like, i've got a 14 year old by the way who's already concerned that she doesn't know what she's going to do for a living and she needs to make her choices now and it's like don't worry about it like it's cool do what you're passionate about and everything else will follow yeah last question this is what i'm looking forward to asking what is the uh the guiding principle behavior you see in every great or exceptional or extraordinary leader that you've worked with So intuitively, the word that comes to mind is compassion, compassion. So these questions are not pre-planned. Nick is just asking me off the cuff, right? So I'm not, nothing. So, so I just love leaders who are compassionate. I just find if you are able to just stop and pause and listen to somebody and really understand their perspective and get curious about their point of view, it's half the battle as a leader. Yeah. For those that listen to this show regularly, and I ask this to all of my guests, they'll already know what my answer is because I've said it before. Uh, You're only the second guest that's ever used the word compassion. And the first that did, I I jumped on and said, that's the word I would use as well. 
So that makes three of us now. Um, the most yeah. common answer, interestingly, I get is empathy. And I, I, I agree that you need to be an empathetic leader, but I think compassion goes one level further. That's my personal view. Um, compassion would be my word. So I, I, a big smile came across my face when you gave that word. And I've done over 100 episodes of this show. And only the second guest has given me that. I'm not saying it's the right answer. It's just our answer. But um, yeah, it's always nice to get a guest that uh, has said something that's the same word that I would use myself. So could not agree more. I think every answer I've ever had in this show is a valid one. Um, but if it was me, if someone's asking me that question, compassion is the, um, the answer that I would give. So couldn't agree more that's with yours. So awesome. yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. Nice to be aligned. There we are. There we are. Well, listen, if people want to find out more about the work that you do, Vanessa, I know you work with you know, really senior leaders across some really big organizations, small organizations as well. You know, uh, you're very effective at, at involving leadership for, for some fantastic professionals. You've got a great track record. Where can people find out more about the work that you're doing? So my business is called Mosaic People Development. My website is mosaicpd.com. And I also have a URL that you can go to. It's yourleadershipresources.com. And I've got a bunch of free resources there for you. Um, assess a, a leadership assessment and some all, all different tools that you can pop on there and, and check out. Amazing. Well, we love free resources here for our listeners. I'll make sure that both the link to mosaicpd.com and your leadership resources is available in the show notes. You don't need to go anywhere, just click through to the show notes and you can find those links and access your free resources straight away. I will, of course, add a link to the Mastering Leadership, what it takes to lead in today's fast-paced world in the show notes as well. So if the content today from Vanessa has really resonated with you and you want to find out more, you want to self-assess where you are in your leadership journey because you want to be an extraordinary leader, I absolutely recommend you go and get a copy of that book and there'll be a link in the show notes. There's also several uh, social links I'll include as well. There's uh, a LinkedIn um, uh, connection for, for Vanessa, Facebook profile, Instagram, and Twitter as well. So depending on where you like to uh, access your social content, I'll make sure those links are all available for those people to, to click through and hopefully follow the wonderful leadership work that you do. Uh, Vanessa, just leads me to say a huge thank you for joining me today on the HLND podcast. And of course, if you are an HR professional listening to this show, uh, perhaps you need support recruiting a top leader into your business. That's where I can come in. So please do get in touch with myself and my team at jgarecruitment.com and the link will be in the show notes for that as well. Vanessa, thank you ever so much for joining me today. I've loved every minute of it. It's a subject I'm hugely passionate about and I love the way you look at the world. I love the uh, the, the way that you embrace modern leadership principles um, and never stop being enthusiastic. It's absolutely a strength in my book and I love that about you. So thank you ever so much for joining me today on the show. Thanks, Nick. And let's give a cheers to all those compassionate leaders out there. Absolutely. Yeah, woohoo to all the compassionate leaders, for sure, for sure. Vanessa, thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into HR L&D Podcast with your host, Nick Day of JGA HR Recruitment. If you need help with a current HR, payroll or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.